So just remember that when you're having those conversations, we all have our own internal timelines and it's just important to speak our truth as soon as we possibly can so that that gives your partner the opportunity to then meet you where you are or not. And that's okay too, right? You need to speak your truth as soon as you possibly can. Icons, it's Jen Spiegel, Mama Four, serial entrepreneur, and your business and lifestyle BFF. I'm here to build a community of like minded women who are willing to dust themselves off time and time again. Through these stories in this podcast, you will be inspired and encouraged to do all that you can do to be the best version of yourself. Ladies, let's be icons. Oh, friends, am I ever excited about this podcast for you and selfishly a little bit for myself because I am sitting with one of my dearest childhood friends, Allison Villa. She is a gift and was a gift to me in my childhood. And to turn around and reconnect as adults and share her with you today, I couldn't tell you how big my heart feels today. It's just, it's bursting with joy because she is such an incredible human being. Allison Villa is a registered psychotherapist and relationship expert. She's the founder of House and Hook, an online platform specializing in keeping couples thriving throughout parenthood. As a wife and mother, she understands how raising a family affects the romantic relationship and the challenges that modern parents face. Can we get an amen for that? With Allison's virtual therapy practice, online courses, retreats, and her monthly membership program, this Keeping It Real Mama combines her personal and professional experience to teach busy couples to live with intention and to use simple, time-efficient strategies to connect with one another. Allison's been featured on Breakfast Television, CBC Radio, Global News Radio, as well as on numerous podcasts and blogs. You can join her email list, and we'll definitely link that up in the show notes for everybody, and get some relationship tools and inspiration. So welcome to the Becoming Iconic podcast, my dear friend, Allison. Jen, I'm so happy to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Like, what is even happening? All these beautiful childhood memories are just stirring in my mind. I'm just, we had such a great childhood together, didn't we? We, we really, really did such fond memories and so much gratitude for that time. Me too. Me too. And I just remember coming to your house and just craving that Italian food your mama would make. And (laughs) I still, to this day, my mouth's watering thinking about her pasta and just that feeling we had of being able just to walk into each other's houses. It was like our second home, wasn't it? Absolutely. And you were such a, like a big sister to me at that stage in my life. You know, because I, ha- I have a younger brother, and so I yeah. was the eldest sibling, and so that was really so, like, so special for us to have that, that relationship, you and I. It really was, and it was to me too as an only child. It, it did feel like that sisterhood I was craving and needed in my life. You really did fill that void for me, so I owe you copious amounts of gratitude as well. And I've just, I've watched you, I've watched you evolve and I just, I can't take my eyes off you. You're just such a, an incredible human and do so many magnificent things in your life. And I just knew, well, first of all, you are an icon to me in all the ways. And I knew your story people would be able to connect with today and, and really get them stirred up inside about becoming better in their relationships and parenthood. And there's, to me, no better person than you. Oh, thank you. I feel so passionate about helping couples to bring the focus back to their relationship after having kids. It's, it's so powerful. And we as parents have, we are the change makers of the world. And we don't, I think that we put so much focus into the kids, we forget that it actually starts with us and our romantic relationship. That's how we change the world by showing our kids what love really looks like in action. It's true. It's true. And that is a very difficult time in our lives to navigate for so many of us. I know it was for me. I mean, I come from a past that has a failed marriage and having young kids and building businesses and both of us trying to build that career. We were young. It was, it was really difficult. So to have someone like yourself back then would have been so beneficial. And I know now, you know, walking through a marriage that didn't work and really diving in and immersing myself to build a strong relationship with my husband. Now it's just, 
I think that's what stirs so much emotion in me and this real passion to help other women really, like you say, navigate through this time. Mm -hmm. And to normalize that it is hard. I'm glad that you said that you named it. It's, you know, in my own personal experience of marriage and then having kids, how much that changes all of us as individuals. And when one person changes, that changes the relationship inevitably. And how exactly how to navigate that because it, it is not easy and it does require us to be intentional, doesn't it? Oh, it sure does. It really does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell me, let's, I love stories. I love background stories. I think that really gets people emotionally attached to where, you know, who you are today. So your beautiful husband, Arian, tell me how that, how you met, like, what's your love story? Where were you at? What was he doing? And how did this all happen? You know, I'm excited to share this because I don't think a lot of people know our, our story, uh, our original story, our love story. So uh, Ariane and I met in 2010, and at the time, I was living on, in this like really awesome one-bedroom apartment across from High Park, and I was I was in a good place. I was like, I was a good place as an individual, but I, with relationships, I had been through a lot of not so great relationships, and I had also been repeating the pattern with men of. Uh, getting in relationships and trying to change them or looking for the potential in them and falling in love with the potential of them instead of who they really were in front of me. Yeah. And, uh, right. Yeah. I think, and yeah. I think a lot of us do this because it's important to look for the good in people. And that's, I think that's a positive quality for me. I had taken it so far the other way that I felt like if, if a relationship didn't work out, I felt like I personally had failed. And that's not true. It takes two people to be in relationship and we want to be accepting each other and accepting all, all the parts of each other. That's what a healthy relationship looks like. So it's not just up to one person. So anyways, at that point, I was at my wits end with dating. And I, I remember just saying to myself, like, I am not going to beg anybody to date me. And if and I know this sounds really like simple and silly almost, but I remember being at that place in, the, in my dating journey where I was like, I can't believe I have to convince people to date me. Like, I am amazing. I, you know, like I felt good about like my value and who I was as a woman and a person in the world. And I was like, I need to reflect that in whatever, you know, relationship happens moving forward. So I just turned 30 and uh, there I was in, in my apartment building in the basement doing laundry in my like scrubby clothes, no makeup. And there's this, this like tall blue eyed, tall drink of water man doing uh, laundry as well. Just the two of us in the laundry room. And I'd seen him around the building before, but just in passing and, and not very much. And so we just started chit chatting. Nothing, no big deal. Because remember at this point I was not looking for anything. I also just had no, I like, I was not about to like put extra effort into things at that point. I had gone through the ringer with, with men. So I had zero expectations of anybody. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I, I remember we were just chatting and then we start walking up the stairs and as we're walking up, uh, we're just chatting more. And I was like, Oh, what floor are you on? And he said the fourth floor. And I'm like, I'm on the fourth floor too. Like, so there were, and so we're like still walking all the way up the stairs to the fourth floor. And so that is how our relationship started. It was just us, talking and we did the laundry together and then we would start having like tea dates and getting to know each other. There was no like going out and drinking and it was all very, very meaningful conversation. Mm-hmm. And I remember at one point feeling like, I don't even know, is this guy into me? I, I'm, I'm not even sure. And the sad part is because I had never had a man be so respectful of me and because everyone was always wanting to jump into bed and being somebody who is also a physical person, being a retired dancer, like I'm very in touch with my body. That's also how I communicate. And so I felt confused. I felt like he doesn't want to jump into bed with me. We haven't kissed. Nothing's happened. You know, like, is he, is he into me? But the reality was he was so showing me love and respect in all of these other beautiful ways through this, uh, this amazing conversations that we were having. And then finally, you know, 
he, like he did say to me, like, yeah, I'm like, I am super into you. And it was like this, anyways, it ended up, I bring it, he, I brought him as a date to one of my best friend's weddings and he met all of my friends all at once. And that was our first actual date. We had had many oh, teenagers days prior to that, but he was, he was christened uh, <laughs> at, at this wedding, this big wedding. So that's how we started. That is amazing. That feels like a movie. <laughs> it's beautiful. And I, I hope people pick up on a few things because I do have some friends who are really desperately looking for relationship. And I often feel, and I don't ever want to, you know, say I'm an expert in any way, shape or form you are, but I feel like often when we're searching for it so desperately, it's almost like we resisted in our lives. And I love how you said you were just, you were just letting things be. And when mm-hmm. you were open and letting yourself evolve and loving who you were. That was a key piece too. I love that you said you were really happy with who you were as a woman. Isn't it interesting that at that time, that's when your love was able to show up in your life. Mm-hmm. And I allowed, I, I accepted that we were doing it differently than what I was used to. And that's also a sign of growth, right? You know, we right. often repeat the same patterns thinking, why is it like, why isn't it better? Why am I having the same? But with Arian and I, I could feel it was different. And I remember at one point, like I said, I didn't know if he was into me. And I remember thinking, even if this man is not into me and this doesn't become anything, he has given me hope of what a healthy relationship can look like. Even, even through like the platonic conversations that we were having before it became romantic. That's like, it was so significant of a relationship and it was so different from what I had experienced. Sadly, isn't that sad? I feel sad like, when I say that. Like, wow, I didn't have yeah. that yeah. many positive <laughs> relationships. But anyways, yeah, it was really, uh, it's about doing it differently and allowing and being able to explore, ooh, what could this feel like if I do it differently than I'm used to, right? Exactly. And you also, I heard through your story is you got to know each other deeply before that romantic side. I mean, I'm, I actually find that quite romantic in itself, but before mm-hmm. that, I guess the intimacy side came about, you actually got to know each other's soul and thoughts and mind. And to me, that is the biggest connection you have to have. Yeah. Being able to talk through things and everyone connects in different ways right? Like there, there are different ways to connect. And so for us, that was something that definitely brought us into deep, deep connection. Mm -hmm. What's your love language? Do you believe in the five love languages, by the way? Yes. Yes, I do. I am a words of affirmation and quality time. Me too. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I love, you can build me and you can break me with your words as much as I wish you didn't break me with your words. It's just, it's just who I am. I absolutely love to receive those words of affirmation. Yeah. 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 I love conversation too. So it's interesting that that was our love language. I kind of figured it was. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's sometimes it's helped. It's helpful to name things out loud. Like Mm -hmm. even when you say like, Oh, I had a hint that that was mine, but then naming it, it's like, Oh, thank you. That makes sense. It's helpful to name things. I think so too. I think so too. So tell me, like, I couldn't take my eyes off you when you and your beautiful family went to Mexico. So I need to know again now the story behind that. What brought you to pack up your family? I mean, you and Arian had got married. You have two beautiful daughters together. What was that point that you packed up and you decided, hey, let's move to Mexico for a year? And anybody (laughs) listening, if you have not witnessed that journey, you need to go check out Allison's, um, and I will definitely have it in the show notes, her Instagram and her website and, and watch that journey because it was absolutely spectacular. So talk to me about that. What, what was that all about? Yeah. So that trip was born and I say trip, but it was the experience of a lifetime. We were there for a year and a half. It wasn't just a trip. We, so our daughters are six and eight right now. And when our second daughter was born, I, for that first year with two kids, I didn't, I didn't feel like myself. I was sad a lot. I was very irritable and angry. I just, I felt like a shell of the fun person that I used to be. And that year after I remember it was the year of, uh, it was like, we were celebrating her first birthday, my, our youngest. And I remember reading her birth story and like, um, reflecting on it with Arian. 
And all of a sudden I just started to weep because I had realized, oh my gosh, like, where have I been? Like that, Mm. when I read the story of her birth, which was this like beautiful, empowering home birth that I had always wanted. uh, And then I thought about who I was in that moment reading the story a year later, I was this like broken shell of a woman. And then came to realize soon after that I had been suffering with postpartum depression for that whole year. And I really thought that, oh, this, this must be the, the new normal of being a mom of two kids, right? This must, I didn't know. I only knew what it was like to be a mom with one. And then I became a mom of two and it completely changed who I was. And what happened, I mean, that time was such a difficult time, but so much good was born of going through that experience. And I think, first of all, it's really important to acknowledge that mental illness happens to anyone and everyone. It doesn't mean that you've done something wrong. I, as a trained psychotherapist, could not tell that I had postpartum depression when I was in it. You cannot see the forest through the trees. I am trained. I am bright. You know, as I know all the people who listen to this are as well. So it's not about, it's not about that at all. So just finding grace for yourself if you are going through something like that, just know it's not about you doing something wrong or right. It just is. So through that experience, we realized that I needed, I needed to make time for me. I was so good at putting everyone else's needs ahead of mine. And when your kids are super little that, you know, like they rely on you for their, their survival. And yes, that's what I needed to be doing at that time. But I had zero zero space for myself. I remember Arian would come home from work and then I would rush out the door to see clients. And that was, that was built very intentionally. I wanted to build my business around being the primary caregiver for my kids and then also be able to do my work with clients, which I love so much. Like both of these things really fill me up. But the, the big key point here is that I was not scheduling in self-care. I was not scheduling scheduling time for Allison, time that really filled me up separate from those roles. And Aryan was so on board with helping me. And this is, I think this point is incredibly important because as parents, you need your partner to help you to take time for self-care. I couldn't just be like, all right, see you later, kids. Uh, put yourself down for a nap. There's uh, crackers on the counter and I'm right, out, you know? Right. You know, you, you need you need to support each other. And thankfully, you know, we, we talked through so many things and he's like, yeah, absolutely. Take what you need. I'm here to support you. And we also had to draw on our, our greater community at that point. My parents would help me my brother would help me. I had friends who would come and watch the kids sometimes so we could have a date night. You know, it's, it's really important that in that time. And now when I reflect on that time and what I teach in couple sandbox, my monthly membership program is that we all go through seasons of our relationship. And at that time, it's so clear to me that I, that we were in the coping season and, yeah. and we all, we've all been in the coping season there. Yeah. It's not about, and this is what I love about the seasons. It's that, you know, when you look outside, you know, today it's, it's pretty bright out, but it's windy and cold. So you know that you're going to probably wear a scarf and, and bundle up and put on some sunglasses, you know, like it's like giving you information so that you can prepare for your day outside. It's the same thing with your relationship season. Once you know that, okay, let's identify this. Just like we see what you said about the love languages. Oh, I named it, you know, words of affirmation. Same thing with naming that, oh, we were in the coping season. And what happens in the coping season, if a couple only leans on each other, they will collapse because humans are meant to support each other. We are herd animals. We are meant to live in villages and in community and have the support of others. You know, even if you think about, if you think about, you know, older parts of the world, like Europe, for example, actual structures were built around people coming together. You know, there's a square with a fountain in the middle. And if you Mm -hmm. think about the picture of what that would look like hundreds of years ago, it's people were doing laundry in the fountain and all of the generations were around and all the kids were running around of all different ages and they were all looking out for each other. It wasn't just the two parents watching just their two kids, for example. So you kind of just going to have, have you pause there because this is so like, 
I don't know why this feels so new to me. It seems so obvious, but it is like, I'm just going, wow, wow. <laughs> like it's so true because I look at myself through two marriages of having two children with, you know, through two marriages, that time where you really are needing one another to lean on just each other. That is, you're right. Cause we don't even have the, the emotional capacity to help somebody else fully when we're feeling, you know, Let's just, uh, sorry, I guess I'm just stammering here because I want to unpack that a little bit more and Mm -hmm. what people, like, what does that season look like? What are the key things to look for? And also if you can just tag on how do people build a community? So I'm thinking about some of these people listening, going, this sounds so great. And I'd love to be around that fountain, but I live far away from family and friends and my Mm -hmm. husband and I aren't getting along and he won't support me to go to the gym because we're not getting what, how would you help somebody through that and building what you're putting out here that looks so beautiful and refreshing. Yeah. So I'm glad that this resonates with you, Jen, because it is a new idea for so many of us who are living in this modern time, which is so wonderful. We have so many conveniences, but the reality of modern technology, it's also put families living further apart. You know, like we can travel now, we can travel by car, we can travel by train, we can travel by plane, you know, like we can go long distances and live far apart. And so you're right, our community is not around a fountain. And we have to find ways to not only when you're in the coping season, it's your season to ask, it is your season to receive. Because you like you said, you know, there's a lot going on for you. You don't have extra energy to give to others. You're, and usually what puts people in the coping season, I, I like to think about it as there's one or two external or internal factors that are consuming all of your time, energy, or resources. So examples of that could be having a new baby. You know, as wonderful as a blessing that is, a baby consumes all of your time and energy and resources, right? Yeah, uh, they yeah. are they are all consuming. And so it's I think what's important about that, it's it's coping season is not always like this if it can feel it's not negative. Like I said, it's it's just naming that, oh yeah, this thing is happening. Other things could be a change in job, moving to a new home or a new place, a loss in the family, a pandemic. It can also, internal factors could be a breakdown of trust, which can look like withholding of information. It can, and it can look like an emotional or physical affair. It can look like just years of feeling unheard or not seen by somebody. There's so, there's so many different things that can, can put you there, but the feeling is that you're really depleted and that you need support. This is your time to ask for your community and to receive from your community. So to answer your question, what does that really look like in action? So in real life terms, if you were not living through, if you're not in a pandemic, just in normal terms, I would say asking for friends to drop off meals, asking if you can afford it, hire someone to do laundry, hiring somebody to clean your home. Like it doesn't always have to be about financial exchange because I know there's Families have budgets, uh, of course, when they're on mat leave. But even just having someone to call to express your feelings—that's a huge part. I, I yeah. cannot—I cannot emphasize this enough—is that your whole sense of self changes when you're in the coping season. There, because something so big is happening, it's changing who you are. Uh, whether that's a change in job, or becoming a parent, or a loss in your family—like those are all things that it feels like a before and after, like you before and you after that event, right? Yes. And so there is this, it's so important to talk through those things. Or if for you, you need to express in other ways, that might look like you moving your body, that might look like singing or listening to music or going for a run or even drawing. Like, I mean, of course, like talking to a therapist is like, so, so valuable during that season or finding a, a person who you feel you can really be honest with. And of course, being honest with your partner, but it's not just about only leaning on your partner. That's what's important here. It's you also being able to express how you feel for yourself, for your own process, and then also being able to express to your partner and, and listening to each other, to what you're experiencing as well. Oh. Beautiful. That is so beautiful. Allison, like just this in itself, I know is going to change lives because people need to, I think, be, 
more aware of recognizing their stages. And that's what I love what you're talking about here, because they are just seasons in our life, but you're really helping. I know myself and anybody listening to really identify that, but also giving us tactical ways of getting through that in an effective and loving. And like you said, giving yourself tons of grace way. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you also opening up about your story with that because I, it also makes me realize, you know, as an expert, you've walked through this as well. And, you know, coming back to that Mexico trip, I love how this is bringing us into what you guys do. Now, maybe, you know, before we get into the story, friends listening, if this isn't something you can do, like for myself, I couldn't pack up and go somewhere. But I think Allison's going to walk us through some really cool ways of the way they did it, but the lessons learned. I'm so excited for, for that. <laughs> so thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you for everything. No, you're, you're welcome. So there we were in this coping season. I had, I'm, I was working through my postpartum depression with the support of our community, right? We needed to lean on others at that, at that point. And Ariane, of course, was supporting me as well. But also he needed support too, because like when one person in, is suffering with a mental illness, it's not, that partner needs equal support as well, right? It's, it's like we, we need to call in our community at that time. So we did that And then it also prompted some very important conversations for us as a couple. And this was one of the scariest things that I have ever done in my life. And I remember the day we, you know, our life was on repeat. He would come home and like, not too late. Like, I want to be super reasonable. You know, Aryan would work maybe like nine till five or nine till six. He wasn't home at 10 or 11. Like, it was very reasonable. But he would come home and I'd have like a kid strapped to my back while I'm like cooking at the stove and like another kid destroying the, like the house. It's like all in shambles. And he would come in and it would be, I would be at my worst. I'd be, and we would have, we could have had a great day, you know, the girls and I at home that day, but he would walk in. I felt like every day he would walk in and I would be at my worst. And I was just be counting down the minutes for him to get home. And I was like, this is not how I want to be witnessed. This does not feel sexy. First of all, this does not feel like the fun woman who I know I am. Like there's just like all of these layers of stuff. And it was after like, probably a couple years of that, that I, I just had a, a, a moment where I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I remember saying to him, we need to do something differently. And, and I felt so afraid to really speak my truth in that moment, because I, I really felt like something had shifted in me that if he says that he's happy with how things are going, I'm out. Like, I'm not going to be able to stay and continue this pattern. This is not okay for me. Mm-hmm. And two things happened. The first thing that happened, he's like, but I am happy with our life. And I was crushed. I was like, oh no, this is not okay. And then a few days later, he said, you know what, Allison, I'm not happy with this life. I miss having time with our family. I feel like I'm not seeing our girls grow up. You're so tired. And I see that. And like it took, and this is important because we all have our own internal timeline. I came to that moment and it was just like, boom, I hit that moment and I knew I I was at my limit and I brought it to him and spoke my truth and he wasn't there yet. And I mean, thankfully it only took him a few days after for him to process it. But his initial response was, what do you mean? I'm totally happy with our life. And that is going to be a common thing for most couples. You might bring something to your partner. They're not going to be on board the first time you bring it up because it took you time to get to that point to even bring it up. So just remember that when you're having those conversations, we all have our own internal timelines and it's just important to speak our truth as soon as we possibly can so that that gives your partner the opportunity to then meet you where you are or not. And that's okay too, right? You need to speak your truth as soon as you possibly can. Beautiful advice. Like beautiful advice. And I, I'm learning so much. I, I'm sitting here taking copious amounts of notes because <laughs> I really crave an exceptional marriage. And this is just, I don't know, it must be the right place at the right time. A lot of this is resonating with me. And I just love that grace. We've talked about giving grace to ourselves, but now you're bringing that over to your partner and giving them grace to realize that they haven't processed this in the same way you have. And thank you for that because there's times I can openly admit where I've been like, you know, we need to do this, or I've come to this conclusion. And when he's not seeing what I'm seeing, it almost feels like another layer of 
oh gosh, like how are we going to get through this versus mm-hmm. just re- letting him work through it at his own pace. I really appreciate that advice. Thank you. Oh my gosh, you're so welcome. And I, we've gone through so many moments like that since then. Like that was our first big moment. And it was so scary, you guys. It was so mm-hmm. scary for me because I really was resolved that if we're not on the same page, really this means the end of our marriage. That's truly what it felt like in me because I could not continue feeling that way about myself, about how I, I didn't, I, that didn't feel good. And right. so it was scary as hell. It was so scary. And, uh, but what was amazing is that for five weeks, we, every night we put the kids to bed and we would continue the conversation where we had left it off the night before. And I'm going to just fast forward to the short version of the conversation, which was, we got super clear on our values. And so your values are, they determine how you act in your day-to-day life. And our values, we were not living our values. Our values were, we wanted to spend more time as a family and as a couple. And it was a few other things like eating great food and being really active. So, and some of those things were there, but the top two, which was spending time with each other and time with our kids. No, they were not there. We were not living by those values. We were saying them but we were not putting them into action. And so this was the hard work of the conversation was figuring out, okay, well, what do they actually look like in action? And then we kept asking like, why? Why are we doing what we do every day? And the bottom line, the bottom line of why he was going to work and then why he would come home and I would rush out to see clients was so that we could pay our bills. And this is, this is a reality. You know, we, we, we all need to pay our bills. We need to support ourselves and support our families. But that was ruling how it was, it was coming at the expense of us living by our values. And so we thought, okay, how can we switch this around? And our house, which I mean, we're so fortunate to be homeowners, but it was our mortgage and our bills that were, you know, preventing us from living by our values. So we thought, how can our house, how can we make our house work for us instead of feeling like a burden? So that's when we decided, okay, we're going to rent out our house and we're going to find somewhere that we can live and take a family sabbatical and really have that time we're craving and live somewhere where the cost of living is lower. And this, this started an eight month journey of minimizing all of our belongings. So this was when like Marie Kondo was like super big and we were all over that minimizing and like the minimalists as well. Anyways, so we minimized so many things and we rented out our home. Our home was still fully furnished, but You still have to take out all your personal effects when you're renting out your home, which is, you know, you open up closets and you realize, oh my gosh, I haven't opened that box in six years. What is even in that box? (laughs) It's true. Yeah. And so, but we got so aligned in this process, this eight month process of minimizing because every day we were working towards the goal of taking the sabbatical and we were, we were both looking in the same direction of our shared vision and that is where the connection happened. It wasn't about getting to Mexico. It was about the journey of getting there. So this is why if you're listening, you're like, we're never going to do a trip like that. That's fine. We do not have to do a trip. But once you find your shared vision and you see each other taking steps every day towards that shared vision, that's where the magic is. That's where the deep connection is. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. It's so true. And you're in partnership working towards a common goal you encourage each other. There's no greater accountability to each other and to yourself. And it really does feel like you are on the tracks headed the same way. And I I love this because I do feel like we need vision and goals in our marriage and our home life as much as we do in business or health Mm -hmm. or whatever that may be. So thank you so much for bringing that up. That's, that's key. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. So then we got to Mexico and we, it was a four month sabbatical and we had this beautiful vision of like being together all the time. And it was, we were in a tiny apartment and it was so difficult to be together, all, all four of us. And we found it very, very challenging. So this image that we had, it wasn't coming into fruition. Like it was beautiful to be in Mexico. We unlearned a lot of our belief system, which was really, really helpful. But then we found other challenges being there. But those challenges felt like a walk in the park compared to that original conversation where I was like, I can't stay in this marriage if we continue this. And because we had gone through so much during the eight months preparing for Mexico that living in Mexico and going through plenty of hardships, at that point, we spoke zero Spanish. And it was 
it was a very humbling experience, but we had gone through so much that it was like, oh yeah, we can, we can find our way through this. So halfway through, exactly halfway through our sabbatical, Aryan was let go from his job. And he, so he was sort of told that, yeah, we're going to hold this position for you when you, when you get back, but there was no official paperwork. It was just sort of this like agreement, this verbal agreement. And so he got this email exactly halfway through. And I will never forget this moment. And I am going to be so honest with you that for 10 minutes, we were freaking out, freaking out as in how are we going? Like I was working with my clients virtually from Mexico, but like, but that was enough for us to live off in Mexico, but to come home to our, our bills and our mortgage and our, you know, Toronto lifestyle or just like Toronto cost of living, we were freaking out. And then all of a sudden, 10 minutes, we had the freak out, a really big freak out. All of a sudden we were like, okay, wait a second. Now we have no strings and we have no expectations or obligations to fulfill except for our own. Mm. And it was incredibly freeing. And because we had done all of that deep personal work leading up to Mexico, it was a lot easier to process. And that was when we started the conversation of, oh, well, we have our kids are now starting to get into a rhythm. They're at this beautiful, loving school. They're starting to speak Spanish. Hmm, wait a second. Should we come back again? And that was when we decided, let's come back and live here for a full year. So all of these like hardships and difficult things, really difficult things that we've gone through, they have made it so much easier to, uh, to live through and to communicate through challenging times and then to find the silver linings. And so that was when we came back to Toronto for four months, prepped our house one more time, and then we drove from Toronto, Canada to Puerto Escondido, Mexico, and wow. lived there for a year. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. It's so amazing and so refreshing because I, I think sometimes in relationship, like all these hard times, we look at them as hard times versus we went through this and learned these lessons and it made us stronger for the next one. I love how you put that and portray that into your relationship is like, we've been through that so we can get through this. And I think that's that glass half full mentality that our relationships, frankly, I believe deserve. Mm-hmm. They do. So they good. do. It's, it's so empowering to feel like, oh, wow, we've, we've gone through that and, we, and we're so much better for it on the other side. So good. So good, Allison. So tell me, I'm so curious. I'm a curious person. I'd love <laughs> to know when you were in Mexico, so you went back for a year together, no strings mm-hmm. attached. You're just kind of, you know, really leaning into developing this family into its greatest potential. But what was the hardest part of that? What was the biggest challenge you found in your partnership? Ooh. Well, the greatest, uh, to be honest with you, like it was a really positive time. I remember feeling incredibly close to Arian during that time. You know, every day we were navigating the roads on our way there and, and really working together uh, so we felt very, very close. And even when we got there, we were like, oh my gosh, we did it. We're here. We're living here. The biggest challenge, and again, this was chosen intentionally. So he had been, it was usually, I would usually be the, the primary caregiver mm-hmm. up until that point. And that was us. We decided to switch roles. So I was the primary breadwinner and he went into the primary caregiver role with our kids. So because I had the online business, was growing the online business, working with my clients virtually. It allowed him the opportunity to drop the kids off at school, be a part of the school community, and be more involved in their lives. And that was that was a challenge at first. And I'm not trying to paint, like it's not totally rose-colored glasses, but honestly, that time was such a strong time of connection for us. And switching those roles was initially challenging, but then really ultimately worked out so well. And we, we all found our flow within that. And so when we came back to Toronto, there's just such an even ebb and flow between work, working roles and parenting roles. The girls go to both of us. It's, it's all very, it's a lot, I don't know. It's just all normalized and very equal now. Mm -hmm. 
And I share that experience with my husband. We, you know, he was home. We raised kids together from the very beginning. And so he left his career to be home and really the caregiver of the kids while I was building my online business. And so mm-hmm. I, that resonates with me and I actually loved it. And I still, to this day, love mm-hmm. it. I love working and his heart and his mission in life is definitely centered around being a father and caring for his family. That's just what makes him feel lit up inside. And I love being a mom too. Don't get me wrong. It's nothing to do with choosing work over my children. I just really love the work I do. So it was very natural for me to dive into that and support the family while still being home for the kids and for him. And that was when my life felt most in flow for sure as well. So I can attest to that. I I understand how that felt and feels. Yeah. Shaking up those roles is is so healthy, regardless of who's in what role, right? I think it's, Mm. it's really great to try on the different ones and it's healthy for everybody. It is. Is Arian working now or is he still home? Arian, well, as we're recording, we're in the pandemic and he's, he is not working, but usually he, he would be working. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you went back to him working when you came home. It kind of went back, but I bet you it went back to quote unquote normal, but it was not the normal you knew before going to Mexico. Absolutely. It was not, it was, yeah, like he's like a, so much more hands-on, but also I had relinquished so much control over how I wanted things done at home prior mm-hmm. to going to Mexico. And now I'm like, I don't micromanage that stuff. And I think that was also, that's an important part of it too, is we have to be able to let go of certain things to invite our partners to step, to step up, to step into things, right? Oh, it's so true. It's like, I, I always say, you know, people crave leadership in business or work. And I think, man, you got to lead your home. Like that is to me the most important leadership role there is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And nobody likes a micromanager. No, (laughs) no, we don't. And you know, that's, that's a lesson in marriages and partnership too, especially with kids is realizing how they do it. Isn't the wrong way. It's just a different way than maybe how I would choose to do it. I mean, there's certainly some situations where of course somebody needs to be corrected because it's, you know, maybe dangerous or whatever. I'm not talking about those situations, but everyday life, you know, Mm -hmm. how the father figure steps up into the role of, of parenting those children has as much value as a motherhood role, in my opinion. And my two kids, my second two that were raised being co-parented, I have witnessed in them this immense confidence. And I don't mean confidence like arrogance. I mean, confidence in their, they know they're loved. Like they don't have the insecurities that I saw with my other two. There's a difference. There definitely is a a difference in the two of them and, and how they see the world because Mm -hmm. they had both parents home and you're right. They'd run to their dad as much as they run to me. And I don't look at that. I mean, some women would want them to always (laughs) run to them, but I actually look at that as like the healthiest thing that Mm -hmm. possibly could be for those children. It's such a gift. It's a gift on so many levels too, because how they see their father is also what they're going to look for in a future partnership, right? Their future relationships. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's very powerful stuff. Very, very powerful. It is. I'm so grateful that you got to have that experience. I think it's so unique and special. And I really wish for all families to have that at some point. I know it's um, naive to believe that everybody will, but I want to encourage listeners, if you have the opportunity to become more minimalist and take a step back and you know listen to Allison's advice about really looking at your values and are you living by your core values and what could you do to maybe step back in order to step forward and have more of a partnership at home and that can be the vision right there. It doesn't have to be like Allison said, a trip or the next shiny object. It could be literally the vision is a more connectiveness within your four walls. Absolutely. You know, and a lot of people were looking for support in like, how do we figure out our values? Like our values, we know what our values are, but it doesn't look like moving to Mexico. And so that's why I created Couples Tune Up, which is my five-week online program that walks you through the process and gets you to ask the questions and have the conversations that I wish somebody had set out for us at that time because our process was way messier, let me tell you. Uh, (laughs) So the Couples Tune-Up is a lot more streamlined and it will help you get clear on what that looks like in action. 
Oh, I love that you mentioned that. And I am going to go there right away. And I think, you know, the best marriages I witness are the ones that are constantly working at it. It's like a, it's as important as building the career or building the family is that partnership and like constantly digging in and filling in the gaps. And, and I love how you talked about seasons. That is so encouraging too to anybody listening. Maybe you're in a season that's not the most joyous you've had in your partnership, but to recognize it's a season, it's a moment and to work through that and gain the lessons to become out the other side stronger. I find this conversation just so encouraging. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Those, those moments, those challenging moments in your relationship are your greatest opportunity for growth and for deeper connection. Mm, it's so true. So true. I'm curious about another thing, if you don't mind me kind of going into <laughs> a more generic question, but I think yeah. you know, people, I know I've fallen in love with your story. I've really learned to open my eyes to new experiences. And I find, you know, just witnessing what you did as a family is, you know, not the norm. It's, it's completely the opposite of the norm, but I love that, you know, shaking up your life and doing things a little differently and what that revealed for you. But I'm curious to know your clients, what are you seeing as the common thread amongst partners right now out there? What are maybe one to three things in relationship that you're finding are the the most predominant challenges right now? The most common challenges when, and I'm going to speak specifically to when a couple become parents, if that's okay. Yeah, that's perfect. Is that the sense of self changes. And when I say sense of self, I mean how you see yourself in the world. And that can that looks like your your friendships, how you relate to your family of origin, your career, your body, your your intimacy, your like all of these pieces of yourself make up your sense of self. And when you become parents, each of you feel a shift in your sense of self. And obviously for the mother, there's more of a, of a shift happening in your sense of self because you're, I don't want to make a generalization, but most, most mothers are the ones who are home primarily with the, the child in the first year, but for not for all, of course. But it tends to be, again, the timeline is different for each person, right? Like you're going through this evolution of your sense of self, these changes that are happening for you, and your partner is also, and you're on different timelines. And so during that time, I notice a lot of tension that happens in the relationship. And it can often look like this, <laughs> this conversation happens a lot of like, well, my life is harder than, you, than yours because. So it becomes a contest of who has it harder. And the reality is you both have it hard. You both have it hard right now and for different reasons and, and all of the feelings and all the things that you're each experiencing are allowed are okay. And, and that's, that is difficult because you're like, but wait, I need to be right. And it's not, it's not even about either one of you being right or wrong. You're both right in how you're feeling. And so that is the number one thing that I see, especially in those early days of parenthood is this feeling of like, this is hard. And it's almost like we want to, to put the blame on somebody else. And the sooner you can recognize that, wow, this is just hard for both of us. And yeah, it's hard. (laughs) And just sit with that messiness. And like I said about the coping season, which that happens in the coping season, it's about expressing how you feel about it and not demonizing the other person and just holding space for each other and looking to your outside community to support you during that time. Yes. And I think everybody's nodding their heads right now, whether you're in the season or have come out the season, you're absolutely right. It's, it is a very, well, it's just new for everybody involved. I mean, none of us have been parents before. And so I know as a husband, they must look at us as a a woman who's, you know, just diving into that motherly role. They must miss a piece of us in certain Mm -hmm. ways. Right. And then we feel as women, I can just speak for myself. I felt very overwhelmed. I felt unattractive because my body was different. I was trying to get used to what that looked like and exhausted, tired, and feeling like I had all these roles I needed to play, like cook and clean and keep the kids happy and try to look my best. It just felt very confusing. Oh, it is. It, it's a confusing time. So like you're describing it perfectly, Jen, that that, is, that was your sense of self-shifting, all of that overwhelm, all of that confusion. And you're 
we're always, our sense of self is always changing. Every day we're always growing and, and changing just slightly, right? But there are periods of time where it's a huge shift, a huge change, just like what you're, what you're describing. And when you're feeling the overwhelm of all of that, it will directly affect your relationship. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I really appreciate how you spoke about providing space for one another and not comparing because I definitely have done that. And I have definitely witnessed that within friendships, you know, with other couples where it's like, but I've been up every night and you slept and you're, there's this feeling of needing, is it being a martyr? Like, what is that? What do we get ourselves (laughs) into there? I don't, and now that we speak about it, it seems so ridiculous, but when you're in that moment, it's so heated and, and you just, I feel like it's almost like we just need to be heard. Is that what we're craving? Oh my goodness. So much. Yes. Like needing to be seen, heard and understood is it's like the underlying foundation of every human's basic needs. We all want to be witnessed and really, really, truly understood. And, and most of all from our partners along from, from our parents as well from our parents, but that's like earlier in the earlier years, but, but yes, we want to be seen, heard and understood. And so the, the martyrdom that you're talking about, there's a few things about that. Some of that is learned and has been modeled for us and has been passed down intergenerationally. And also remembering that like things have changed very quickly, just even in our last generation, you know, like our parents' generation, women have very clearly were, had a certain role and were, were uh, like at home with the kids. And like already it's like our parents worked and, and had kids. And now we have, we are seeing, you know, families who are like, have their online businesses and are doing this and are doing all the home cooked meals and are tending to the emotional intelligence of their children. And are that right? Like there's so many things that are changing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but back to the martyrdom is I think there's also this primal piece of being for many women, not all, but for many women that feels like the, and I think that this comes from when the early days of motherhood, it's, your brain is wired to keep your infant alive at the expense of your own life, right? Like you will, even in pregnancy, your brain is already starting to wire that way. So even in, for women who, for example, don't have access to a lot of food, the food that they eat will go to their baby first before it goes to them. So your brain and body are already telling you that the survival of this baby is more important than your own survival. So that's just like base how it works in the brain. Right. And so that continues into motherhood. And this, I'm going to speak to my own experience here because I think, and this is one of, this goes also with like one of the challenges that often happens with couples is I know for myself, my husband, Arian, has always been so good about making time for his self-care. He is, he's a cyclist. And so once a week, he needs to go on a three to five hour long distance bike ride. And it's his therapy. It's when he clears his mind, he moves his body, he comes back a new person. And he has always been so good about making that time for himself, even when our children were very little. And so Saturday morning, he'd be like, all right, I'm out going on my ride. And that Saturday morning, he was like, I hate you. Like, I was like, (laughs) I was like, "Ah," like, everything in my soul. I was like, Saturday is the day I was looking forward to where I would get a break, you know, and he'd be like, see you later. But he'd also been working hard all week at work. And that was his time for his break too. Anyways, but the point is that I resented him. And the reason I resented him was because I was not asking for what I needed. I was not carving out that same time for self-care because of whatever all those factors are, the primal instinct, the intergenerational patterns of me telling myself that I wasn't allowed to make time, that everything else was more important than me having a coffee with a friend or going to a dance class or whatever. I had all of the reasons that were my own that were keeping me from doing what he was doing. He was modeling self-care. He was doing it for me all the time and I resented him. And so, as you know, from my story and my postpartum depression, it was like, oh, wow, I got to shift this around pronto. And that was when we, we figured it out together. Like, oh, we need to be each other's biggest cheerleaders. And he was always, always saying to me, yeah, Allison, go, go to that yoga class. Do what you need to do. I'm great. But I still was getting in my own way. And so I hope that if you're listening and you feel like, oh my gosh, I do that too. Let this be your permission slip to ask. No one's going to know what you need unless you ask for it. 
and and just get out of your own way. You do need to fill yourself up so that you can be there for your kids and that you can like yourself, right? Mm. Yes. Yes, this is beautiful. This is so beautiful. And I I received that permission slip. I mean, so often it's true. We hold on to resentments because really it's just the mirror of what we wish we were doing for ourselves, but aren't brave enough or for some reason feeling like we've got to stay in this, you know, poor me, I have to stay home with the kids. No, we don't. We just have to simply say, I need 30 minutes to myself or, you know, and I think too, Allison, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's really important that we decide what fills our cup as well as women. Is it, is it moving your body or is it getting in front of a friend and having a cup of coffee and a conversation, really defining what that is. So you could be purposeful every single day to add that into your schedule. A hundred percent. And this whole term self-care, it's, it has been diluted. It's so overused. It's so, you know, and so as a result, we are, I feel that many people are unclear about what does that even look like for me? So I created a free self-care toolkit, which has a little mini video to walk you through what self-care actually is and then how to figure out what it looks like for you specifically. And I designed it for you to watch with your partner so that you can just be speaking the same language and can be on board with that together and feel how amazing that feels. It feels so good when your partner says, oh yeah, so what day are you going for that yoga class this week? I want to make sure that I'm setting time aside for that. Like how good does that feel? (laughs) Yes. Right? So good. Right? Yes. Anybody, we're all just, I think we're all nodding our heads and just thinking, yes, this is exactly the kind of advice. And, you know, I guess you've just laid it out in such a beautiful way and simple way for us to now go and implement. And you have all these tools, like who knew guys go and check out Allison. Again, I'll have all of this in the show notes, but these tools, Allison are beautiful and perfect. And I really, I can't wait to dive into them personally. I'm grateful that there's people like you out there with a voice, with knowledge, with experience and a kind servant heart to lead us and guide us to have our best, you know, marriages and and families. I I really, I keep saying thank you, but I genuinely mean it. It, I'm so grateful for these types of conversations and we're hungry for them, especially as women. I think we just need that person we can trust that can guide us to even start this new phase or journey in our lives. Mm, I'm so passionate about this because I remember going through and, you know, still going through things now and feeling like, why is nobody talking about this? You know, in those early days, I would be working with my own clients and be hearing from them the struggles they'd be having in their relationships after having kids. And then I'd be at the, the playground and then all the other moms and they'd be chatting about the challenges that they were having in their relationships after having kids. And I thought, oh my gosh, why is this not normalized? This is such a huge change in the the relationship that we need to talk about it and we need to set new standards as to how we can help each other and make it so awesome and so beautiful because those challenges they like like we've said before they can make or break you you know you can either come out stronger or you can you know not talk about them and they can turn into resentment and and so many other things that can break a relationship right and do you feel you know my last question here because i just it's a juicy one it's probably way too heavy for a short answer but if you can i'm just trusting you and that you're going to be able to guide this conversation here but do you feel like there is a silver lining to all relationships do you feel even if someone right now feels hopeless and helpless in their partnership that there is a way to work through that I mean, above and beyond things that are maybe against our morals and values. I'm talking about maybe just hidden resentments, just getting into that space in your relationship where you're not communicating properly and you've lost touch with each other. And how many people just, you know, kind of like going backwards in your story where you just think, Mm -hmm. I don't know if this is going to work anymore. I guess Mm -hmm. my first question this is, is there hope? And the second part of that question is what would be your top tip to start coming out of the deep end of that? Mm. Yes, there is hope. And I want to, I want to be very careful when I answer this because I like how you touched on, of course, this is not to say like staying in an unhealthy or an abusive relationship of any sort, Right. but even in the darkest of times, there is so much to learn about ourselves and we as individuals are at the root of our relationship. So 
that resentment that you may feel for your partner, looking at it and even exploring it within yourself and in your own personal story outside of your relationship, really doing that internal work, that like doing your own personal work is such a gift to yourself and it is such a gift to the people that you love. And it helps you get into, and I'm using this term deeper connection, but it, when you show up as your best self and you speak your truth and you unpack all of those difficult things, that's when you get closer to feeling that ultimate state of bliss with yourself and with the people that you love, whether that's your partner or if you choose to not stay with your partner because you're not able to, to be your best self together. You know, I really do believe in, I don't believe in staying together for the kids. I, I want to see each person being able to be their best self in their relationship. And if they're not able to do that, then it is possible to be a loving co uh, to be loving co-parents as you have experienced, Jen. Yeah, it's true. And I do experience that. I do have that commitment with my ex and we share children. It's so far beyond the two of us and what happened to us in our relationship. And it's about us co-parenting and giving our children that we share the best of both of us. So I do agree. And I think that's a beautiful, you explained it perfectly. I mean, it's just working as hard as we can with ourselves and really digging into the whys. And, and I keep using the word curious. I feel like it's my 2020 word. I, I, every conversation Mm -hmm. I bring it up, but I guess because I'm in that zone in my life where I want to dig into things a little bit deeper. And I love how you spoke about, you know, just looking at ourselves and where that resentment's coming from and what we have to learn through that rather than going way back to the beginning of this conversation, trying to fix somebody. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And putting the blame all on someone else, right? Yeah. Like there's a fine line, like we don't need to take on all of the blame or all of the negative feelings, but it is just like using that word curious and being curious with gentleness and not judgment. That's really key within yourself. Like being curious about, oh yeah, where is that coming from? Is that a familiar feeling or is that new? Have I felt that before? When did I feel it? You know, like those kind of things. And this is why I love therapy. By the way, I've been working with my own therapist for, I think it's like 18 years now. I, so I really practice what I preach. I, talking through things, understanding your own inner world is of such value. And we need to lose the stigma on that. It's preventative mental health. You know, why do we wait until we're in the breakdown lane? You don't do that to yourself. Just start now. That's <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. And I actually love that we are bringing the normal to that. I think there's so much conversation, people openly talking about being in therapy. I just, it is, it's it's so important just to have that soundboard, that person that has no opinion, bias opinion that is in terms of what we're sharing with them. And just sometimes like I'm a verbal processor, I have to talk things out. Otherwise I don't quite work my way through it properly. So Mm -hmm. I know I'm an advocate for therapy as well. And just doing that and checking in and, and, really digging into self-limiting beliefs and recognizing where things aren't serving us anymore and how do we work through that and come on to the other side. Yes. Yes. See, you're, we're speaking the same language here. <laughs> I, just love, <laughs> I love this conversation. I could talk to you for the next two hours. I, it's just to me so relevant and so important. I, I share that same yearning for these types of conversations that you had on the playground with other women thinking, why don't we speak about this more? Same with like afterbirth. I don't know why we don't talk about what happens to us after the baby. Like we talk about everything up to the birth and delivery. And then it's like, nobody talks about the other stuff. Mm-hmm. I crave that as a woman, as a woman to really just own it and be free about the conversation around it with, with, like you said, without judgment. So thank you for all these really impactful, valuable tips. I I know you've helped marriages today and you're doing it every day, but I'm just so grateful you would share that on this podcast because I hope you've reached some new people today that learn who you are and what you're about and through whatever moment or season they're in in their marriage, they just see that hope and delight in learning right now and, and growing into that next version in partnership. Mm, thank you so much. You're welcome. So I end every podcast with this question because it's just to me a great bird's eye view into who Allison is as well. And that is, how are you going to be iconic today? I love this question. And I also love 
becoming iconic. Can I just say that quickly? Sure. Thank you. I, yeah. I love your, the name of your podcast, Becoming Iconic. And also becoming is an action. It's something that we don't just arrive at. It's something that we're always in process. We're always maybe not striving for, but it's something that's always in action. Becoming iconic. It's not just one thing you do one time and then it's done, is it? No, no. And thank you for seeing that and, and talking about that. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. Yeah, you're welcome. So what is how, what am I going to do today to become iconic? Yes. Mm. Well, something I really try and practice every day is being intentional with how I spend my time, who I spend it with, and how I use my words. So I think that's, that is what I will do today with my, with my family, with the people in my life, with my clients. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you for that. Thank you. And you are a beautifully iconic woman who is becoming, and I can't wait to continue to watch your journey and for you to bless people in their marriages. The most important partnership there is in life, really. It's just such a gift to your children, to memories and, and the life you're building, the future you know, home you have is really having that connection and working through everything. And this has just been such a beautiful conversation around that. And I am so eternally grateful, first of all, for being such a beautiful person as in my childhood with those beautiful memories of you and your brother and your mom and dad, and also now coming into our adult years and reconnecting. And I know I'm going to continue to learn from you. And this is just the catalyst to many more beautiful times together. Thank you, Allison. Oh, thank you so much, Jen. And thank you for bringing so many wonderful women together and for being such a force of positivity and light. You are bringing so much good into the world. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. It really means the world to me. I would be so appreciative if you would take one minute of your day and give a five-star review and share this on your social media. You can find me on the gram or Facebook, and don't forget our website, becomingiconic.co. Ladies, stand taller today. Roll those shoulders back, chin up, and go out and be iconic. <laughs>